Good afternoon. Welcome to this week's edition of Navarra FM. I'm Aaron Mastani at Aaron Mastani on Twitter. As ever, I'm joined by James Butler at Pierce Penless. Hi, James. Hi. As ever, you can follow today's discussion on the Twitter hashtag Navarra FM. Otherwise, stay in touch by liking us on Facebook or simply by going on the site where this show will soon be available. That's www.navaramedia.com. Thanks for listening. This Wednesday, three gunmen opened fire at the Paris office of Charlie Hebdo, killing at least 12 and wounding 11, four seriously. Among those killed were staff cartoonists Shab, Kabu, Honor, Dignou and Wolinsky, along with economist Bernard Marie, as well as two police officers. President Francois Hollande described the attack as a terrorist attack of the most extreme barbarity. The day after, and the remaining staff of Charlie Hebdo announced that publication would continue, with the next week's edition of the newspaper to be released on the usual schedule, now with the print run set for one million copies. The primary frame deployed to make sense of the incident has been that free speech, with the event viewed almost universally, and this seems almost an uncontentious point now, as an assault on the freedom of the press. This was, after all, a supreme act of retribution against a publication for its content. While some of that content was often Islamophobic, xenophobic, and more besides, no one, not here at least, is suggesting that an appropriate response to that looks like this, or that those involved had just cause for their actions. They clearly did not. On today's show, we'll talk about the political context and the consequences of what have happened, what the meaning of hashtag Just We Charlie really means, uh, and uh, the political uses and abuses of satire. This is a magazine which made out Boko Haram sex slaves to be welfare queens, and powerful white European men punching down is not satire. Satire attacks the powerful and discredits authority, not the powerless. So, James, where do we start? Um, well... Uh, where we start is uh, possibly by challenging that definition of satire. Um, I don't think. I mean, I don't, let's I don't, get started. I, mean, I don't think. I don't think that's. A, I don't think that's. A, that's the generic. Uh, that's, the, I mean, that's, well, the, that's the good liberal thing. Out of all this. Huh? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, it would be a nice idea, but actually, like the the history of satire is one in which, for hundreds and hundreds of years, satire has mostly been written for an educated and established audience against the degeneracies of the modern age. That is true as far back as juvenile. Um, so, so, so that you know, I, you don't have to make out satire to be this um, extraordinary tool of emancipation in order to say that people shouldn't be shot uh, in in their workplace. It's, it doesn't require, uh, you know. A, I'm not talking necessarily about the political functions or functionality of satire. I'm actually saying this wasn't even satire. Uh, well, no. I mean, I. Uh, um, I, I don't think arguments about the, the, the boundaries of the genre are particularly useful here. Yeah. It is satire. It's largely ham-fisted and lazy satire. Um, and I was saying, saying this, you know, because I think it, it is perhaps useful, I guess, to, to say that, you know, I, again, this is, this is you know, I, I wonder if this is really even necessary. It, you know, in order to... to, to okay, Let's let's go into this this way to say you know to make those sort of um, gestures that need making first um, that people should not be killed for drawing cartoons that those cartoons were racist um, that those cartoons uh, were part of uh, a generalised. Um, racist establishment, particularly in France, that has a lot to do with the French state and the French state's interests abroad. Uh, it has a lot to do with the way in which Western Europe conceives of itself. Um, it will be deployed by both the attackers, um, by people who are in sympathy with the attackers, and the French state 
and Western European powers um, to uh, continue a, a narrative about a clash of civilizations. Um, so the role, uh, I think, of, of, of certainly of people like us, uh, and perhaps of the left, if you can talk about such a thing in such context, um, should be rather than to 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 to, <laughs> to 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 choose a side in that argument, would be to to explode this notion um, that that all of our distinctions and all of our our, our, uh, our thinking should be rolled up into in, into that narrative. Um, that is a thing that is not being done generally. Mm. Um, it is a thing. So, for instance, within. Uh, uh, it's certainly not being done within the mainstream media. Within you know uh, mere hours of it happening, you have people sort of going on about you know this 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 clash of civilizations and so on and so on. Um, basically, one one doesn't need to defend the magazine in its own terms um, to to defend the fact that journalists should not be murdered in their workplace. And I think you know I think that is important to underline. I'd just like to clarify that before passing back to you, because I know you've got a hell of a lot to say about just the category of satire like you've already touched mm. upon. Uh, incredibly illuminating. But yeah, like you say, um, one can hold a position that these the, these events, these killings were obviously awful, but also politically they don't resolve anything. They are completely counterproductive. Um, that's one point. Secondly, Shalia Abdul, specifically since yeah, the early 2000s has been an increasingly racist, xenophobic publication and like you say the reason why we're talking about this today is not because we want to tie ourselves into a larger kind of media news cycle which is controversial polemical contrarian but yeah not enough people are contextualizing this and actually when you look at these events uh, within the broader context of the Front National winning a European election in France last year on 25% of the vote. They took one third of the seats. They won 12 moralities. Marine Le Pen in the 2016 presidential elections, I think, is a bolt-on to make the last two at the cost of the Socialist Party. In October last year, the incumbent president, Francois Hollande, was on 13%. That's an all-time low in the history of the Fifth Republic. So within that broader context, a rising far right across Europe more generally, but particularly in France, they came first last year. Um, economic sclerosis in France, uh, the failure of a particular economic model, which has now been going on essentially since the beginning, well, since their yeah, since their membership of the eurozone, and the failure. I think this is a really important point now: the failure of the left in France, because with that uh, ascent of uh, Marine Le Pen, who will she be running against next uh, next year in the 2016 presidential election? It will be Nicolas Sarkozy, um, and that really is quite astonishing, uh, because you're no longer talking about the centre of politics when you're seeing a presidential contest between a Le Pen and a Sarkozy. Something very, very strange has happened. The left is nowhere to be seen. The far left actually is nowhere to be seen, unlike let's say, Spain and uh, Spain and Greece. So, yes, that's why we thought we'd talk about it because it's so important with regards to that broader context about the failures of the left, the rise of the far right, um, and how one can align economic, political, and social crisis. James? Yeah, I mean, it, it is also important in itself, I think. I mean, this is... Um uh, you know, I mean, it's interesting. You said you know this this killing doesn't resolve anything. I think that's exactly right, um, because it's not uh, intended simply. And I think it's 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 dangerous to do the thing um, that a lot of people will do, which will say that this this attack is to be understood um, as a uh, revenge attack for the publication of um, you know uh, various sort of racist or provocative or um, blasphemous cartoons. Um, it, that's a pretext for, for, for what's happening here. But the, the, it, <coughs> uh, the, the attack is intended to be politically read, right? So it's intended to be read um, 
as engendering that clash of civilizations. And, and one of the things to do, I, I think one of the things for the, the left to do is, is rather than um, attempt to, to make some gestures around uh, freedom of speech and freedom of the press, is, is to start thinking about the, the ways in which uh, you know, uh, solidarity comes into question here. And we'll have a lot more to say about that, I think, as, uh, uh, as the show progresses. Because, you, you know... Uh, one doesn't, you know, one doesn't have to defend uh, Charlie Hebdo, uh, it, you know, in terms of, of what it's published, particularly since uh, September 11th, uh, in order to say, in order to defend, you know, a basic right to free expression. It doesn't require one to have solidarity with the content of the magazine in order to defend that. And I think, I think that's a point that that needs to be made clear. Um, what is more concerning to me, I, I suppose, is 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 the immediate way in which this gets deployed um, by Western governments. Um, so uh, sort of in, on the same day that, that, that it happened, you have um, uh, politicians in Greece saying, uh, you know, if you vote in Syriza, um, uh, they will open the, the floodgates to... to uh, well, open. You know, there's a, a long history here of uh, you know, images of, of Greece as the the gateway outside of which the barbarians are waiting to to sort of sweep it over and sweep across Europe. But that, that's, I mean, you have uh, you know people from Samaras down, um, you know, saying vote for Syriza, you do this. So this is you know, already deployed as a a, 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 str- a way to strengthen you know reactionary politics certainly within uh, within within Europe it, uh here we have uh you know it being deployed as an excuse for uh retaining armed forces uh within Manchester uh you know so so uh, a series of cost cutting exercises which would have seen the redundancy of various firearms teams uh, have now been cancelled in the wake of the of of the attack in Paris it's, it would seem to anyone outside of the police force a flimsy excuse but any excuse that allows them to retain a militarized force and as violent a one as greater manchester police is um which is not a thing that goes remarked as often as the, the metropolitan police but it but it is um in editorials across the you know from the sun uh you know uh leftwards you have uh, you know the, these 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 you know the the, the uh, insistence that 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 that, peop- that Muslims must be taught our values. This is the so this will we'll see presumably a, a, a rise in surveillance. You have the uh, sort of head of MI five saying today we need you know, greater surveillance powers. Uh, so so you have what is I guess a, a kind of predictable uh, exercise in retrenchment. Uh, so. As far as I'm concerned, the, you know, the, the immediate problem here is 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 certainly for for for, for the left in in England is to deal uh, in terms of, of action is to deal with what is going to happen, which is, you know, what happened after the the Rigby murders here, which is a, a rise, um, both in state and non-state. Uh, 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 violence and uh, surveillance and you know uh, harassment of uh, of Muslim minorities. So, so that is the thing that 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 ought to be borne in mind. What I would say, and you know, I I suspect this is not an, an opinion that is necessarily widely shared, is, is that this does not vitiate, um, you know. A, a critical res- response to the murder of journalists, and this is, you know, I, I'm I, venting here because of, of some of the stuff that you know I saw 
online in the immediate aftermath, which I, I think was generated from, from, from the best possible place, which is to say, you know, which is to say that there, what, you know, this, you know, this will be deployed as an excuse for racist retrenchment across Europe. And it was, you know, a very clear-sighted recognition uh, that, 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 that this was coming. Is to say that, you know, oh, you know, is to explain, you know, explain away the killings, say, that, oh, well, you know, they, they were provoking people, they're asking for it. You know. it that, I think is, that, I think, is misguided. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, it's dangerous to go down that road, um, to, say, to say that one doesn't care about the murder of journalists, because it also has to be read in continuity with, uh, with the murder of journalists elsewhere. Um, it's one of the things that I, I, I suspect is, is, is not necessarily clear to people, is that, you know, as well as being read as, Attempting to engender this kind of clash of civilization stuff, you know, it is it is also um, an attack on journalism itself, uh, and this is you know it's hard to it's hard to do this without sounding uh, or without reinforcing a, a sort of you know rather spurious liberal narrative, um, but 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 uh, you know all I would say is that that in terms of reading this attack, uh, one does have to read alongside it, the murder of journalists in Syria. I don't mean here sort of, you know, uh, James Foley's or Marie Colvin's or, or whatever. I mean sort of people who <laughs> you know, who, who are, are, are Syrian or Iraqi uh, who, who, have, who have been murdered, um, you know, by, by uh, you know, well, various factions within uh, within civil civil wars there. So, so that, that is all I would say. It's an unfortunate position because you know it, it, it is often a dangerous one to, to so you can tell I'm getting into difficulty here right because I, I, I you know I think it should be a relatively simple thing to to affirm both the defense of people being killed in their <laughs> in their workplace for, for the publication of a cartoon um, while also refusing um, the, the a racist reading of that attack it does however seem to be beyond quite a lot of people to do that and mm. um, so so we'll leave that I mean, I just want to pick up the thing you said about, uh, I think I'd like to talk about that as well, actually, but I'd talk about this thing with Greater Manchester Police. Um, The sort of groups that these events play into the hands of most are, okay, I'll I'll put them into two groups, really. First was the far right. The far Mm. right. People like, from Dan Hanan, who's a a conservative MEP, to Nigel Farage, to, you know, Paul Staines, Guido Fawkes, all the way down to sort of... EDL North Lanks Facebook page manager they'll be rubbing their hands together you know and they'll be so happy at this they'll be so happy because it confirms all of their prejudice it confirms their politics it confirms their prescriptions so they'll be absolutely chuffed to bits about this that's to be anticipated and I want to talk about actually about Farage's comments about uh, domestic Muslims being a fifth column Mm. in Britain which is an astonishing thing to say really but aside from that, also, yeah, with regards to the police, bureaucracies love to accumulate resources. Again, I can't say this is enough. This is not a moral criticism. I'm not saying I don't think the police are nice people, right? But put that uh, view to one side. You may disagree with that. You may not. Put that to one side. Bureaucracies love resources. They love to accumulate resources. So what does that mean? It means in the context of the European Union, the European Commission wants all these powers from the European Parliament. The European Parliament wants all these powers from the Council of Ministers. That's what it means between, between agencies, right? In the context of Britain, it means that police forces want as many guns, as many people, as, you know, they want as many drones as they can get their hands on, right? And this whole narrative um, around the capacity needed for anti-terrorism, counter-terrorism, is confirmed by these events, right? I mean, the last major terrorist incident that took place 
place in Manchester was, I believe, was the IRA bombing in central Manchester, no? Yeah, I mean, there's the the uh, 2003 incident where a police officer was killed by someone involved in a ricin plot. I think. Yeah. But okay, but let's. I mean, that that's 20, 25 years ago now. The yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. the Manchester bombing. Mm-hmm. And actually, you could say that you know, quote unquote, homeland security in Britain is far more contingent upon um, uh, affairs in Northern Ireland, which actually, yes, they're going to deteriorate quite substantially in the next ten years, than anything that's going on in Paris with Charlie Hebdo. That's that's to one side, right? Uh, so. Yeah, bureaucracies want resources. They'll be chuffed to bits about this, as will the far right, you know. So, James, maybe we could talk a little bit more about free speech, the mm. role of free speech. and Because on, on the one hand, you and I both, we will concede time and time again, regular listeners will know, we have never, ever, ever said that a solution to things you find disagreeable is a state ban or, or censorship or prohibition. So um, a quite canny sort of response to this whole thing has been, well, look, you can't go and sort of daub a, a swastika over somebody's house and go freedom of speech because that would be... Uh, that would be a criminal action right that would be illegal so but at the same time we're not saying that the kinds of thing that Charlie Hebdo were doing should be criminalised either so where does this fit in with the good politics freedom of speech and censorship and the relationship of free media to um, a free society more generally well I mean I, th- I think that the I suppose the danger of rolling things into abstractions like free speech is to is that it relies on a certain characterization of society in which like there is which is which is sort of the the, the pretext to a liberal society right which is that there is a completely uh flat social structure um uh into which one is one is born with absolute equality of opportunity um uh and absolute freedom right um and Which is uh, what we have, right? Yeah, well, apparently. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, but it means but so 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 the argument, the the claim here is that um, every individual, and it conceives of a society as composed of individuals, mm. um, is uh, absolutely substitutable. So, and I've I've talked about this before in in the way in which like the law thinks of of people, right? It's, it thinks of people as uh, an abstract person uh, to whom the same rights and uh, obligations apply. Um, now, there's something to, to be said for that universalism, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's certainly a triumph over um, historical feudalism or, or slave-owning cultures. Um, not, of course, that slavery is absolutely eliminated from the world in, in any sense. Um, but uh, so, th- so we have this like, notion of a kind of uh, a flat culture in which there is a public sphere uh, in which people have a, a right to free expression. Uh, of course, this is not, in, in fact, true. And, you know, when, when we start to think of society solely in this way, rather than, you know, saying that, 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 in fact, individuals are differentiated and are part of groups and groups which are accorded various privileges to speak or, or not, or, or, you know, or, or, or um, uh, disadvantages or, 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 or are effaced or silenced or you know, whatever. As soon as, as soon as we start to think, okay, well, but a right to speech is not something that... that, that is simply, you know, it, I don't uh, simply emerge from the ground and sort of start spouting something that that is, you know, it comes from something intrinsic to me. It's you know, a question of like my my desire when speaking publicly is to affect something, right? So immediately you have like this question of like what your speech does and you know the the, the power to it and what it. 
you know, what it should you know what it should be able to do and so this this claim that that freedom of speech you know operates you know in terms of, of just in terms of like one's right seems to me to obscure that that one ought to at least politically think that 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 one is responsible for one's speech um so so it should be possible to defend and i think it is worth defending the notion of an autonomous public sphere uh, however uh, uh uh-huh. James, a few raised eyebrows in this lesson. <laughs> well, no, but the, no. This is this I'm is joking. this is to say politically that you know you know as you know so any emancipatory movement in the West, for instance. So I'm talking here about all the socialist movements that emerged at the end of the 19th century are in turn in turn sort of predicated in one sense on the bourgeois revolutions and, and especially, uh, oddly enough, you know, uh, in this context, the French Revolution, right? So you have these kind of three claims or the three, three words that are the motto of the French state, right? Uh, liberté, égalité, fraternité. Um, so, so this is like you know when you say no, and this is this is what leads someone like Juan Cole to 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 go to end up in this kind of spurious idea that the French invented the rights of man. Um, the, that yeah. was Thomas Paine, wasn't it? <laughs> I'm joking. Um, but but the point here is right is that like the realization um, certainly by the end of the 19th century is that these things are, are, are incomplete, right? They're incomplete while. Uh, you know, when they are realised through the state, when they are realised through particularly the bourgeois state, but you know, whatever. Um, so, so you have like this this kind of um, you know the, the question the, the, these things you know freedom, equality, um, you know brotherhood uh, immediately face you know a, a conflict in, in terms of um, you know in terms of uh, property relations, basically. So, so, the, so, 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 yeah. You know, the, I mean, this is like quite a standard historical reading. Um, but, but, um, you know, I, the the question is, you know, uh, you know, I, one can't just defend the way these things exist within the bourgeois state, right? I mean, they 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 exist uh, only in certain, only to a certain extent, and to. Uh, undergird and uh, uh, reproduce certain freedoms at the expense of others. Um, And this is to say that bourgeois democracy and the bourgeois state has an outside. It has an outside which is usually, you know, uh, usually found to to, to the east of Europe and is usually uh, subject to uh, certainly state-sponsored, but but, you know, uh, largely very often sort of capital-sponsored violence as well. Uh, And so, 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 you know, yeah, go on. Can you explain me something because I'm I'm just looking on my Twitter feed. I'm looking at Facebook. I'm seeing all these people talking about how precious democracy is to these Europeans, primarily these white Europeans. How precious their beautiful democracies are, right? And freedom of speech, um, freedom of association. And look, it's 2015. Happy New Year, by the way. It's 2015, and. In the context, certainly since the late 1960s, freedom of association, freedom of the press, freedom of speech is under attack like never before Mm. in the developed world. Like never before. Now, who is attacking it? Who is attacking it? If my phone is bugged, if my emails are being checked, who's doing that? It's not Saeed Al-Abdullah, you know? It's not, uh, you know, it's not, right? It's not somebody with a name probably like mine, <laughs> you know, a, a brown-sounding name. You know, it's GCHQ. These freedoms are under attack like never before. And it seems so strange to me that actually it's not just a contradiction here 
within a society. I'm talking about literally the same people will go, oh God, yeah, there's 8 million CCTV or whatever it is in the UK, right? You go, it's unbelievable. This is a democracy. It's a tyranny. And then the next minute they go, oh, freedom of freedom of the press, you know, this we, we, you know, this is what defines as a free society. But hold on, you said we lived in a tyranny last week. You know, all, all these kind of, I don't like to give them too much time because it gives them credibility and they don't merit it. But these kind of unhinged right libertarian randians, you know, one minute you're saying that, oh, 50%, 50% of my income is taken through tax this is a tyranny you know this is a this is a tyrannical regime that needs to be brought down by arms and the next minute you're saying oh because these guys who i've never met before have killed these uh 11 11 people wasn't it you know they've killed 11 people that's an attack on this free society in which we live and you said well hold on one one moment ago you were saying you lived in a tyranny and that's the kind of contradiction i don't quite understand because it actually it just seems such a bizarre paradox. I mean, look, France has special ops in six countries in sub-Saharan Africa. It has a drone base in Niger. Now, I'm not saying that then explains or excuses what's happened with Charlie Hebdo. It doesn't. Of course it doesn't. But the idea that France and Europe... And then there's this bizarre cartoon, right, of like a Kalashnikov made out of like a, a protractor, a pencil, a Sharpie and a rubber. It's like Europe conquered every continent on the face of the earth, yeah? It didn't do it with a pencil, a pencil case and a biro. It did it by force of arms. And it continues to do it by force of arms, as do its allies around the world, right? You know, from the United States to Australia. It's, you know, it's former colonies. So I, I, it just seems this bizarre paradox, this bizarre contradiction. Are people aware of this when they tweet Je suis Charlie or, or not, do you think? Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting. And, you know, the, the, there is a I have, there's certain benefit to social media in, in this thing because, you know, people have continuities of, of use in, in an account or it might be, you know, someone that, you know, I, I have on Facebook, for instance, people I grew up with and mm. these are people who are, you know, generally, um, you know, not... Well, not people of the left, <laughs> you know. Um, there's sort of, you know, uh, uh, you know, so the same people who are posting Je uh, suis uh, Charlie... Um, are the same people who, a few months ago, were uh, you know saying uh, you know uh, lock up those who burn the poppy. So there's a you know there there is but 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 the point here is is that is, is is the the question of whether whether people are aware of the contradictions is I suppose not not quite the right one because the contradiction is 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 not apparent to them because it it, it seems it's actually entirely coherent to defend free speech within the limits of free speech in service of uh uh western democracy or the western state or, right so this is a, I mean, this is a a a clash of civilization narrative that smooths out that contradiction uh, certainly quite nicely for people uh, now now one should certainly point out the contradiction of course um but but it does have an internal coherency and an internal logic that that logic is is essentially a racist one right which which searches free speech for, for the present state of things yeah yeah um, uh, but this is the you know I mean and it's not hard to defend satirists in that sense because satirists have historically always defended the status quo or seen the status quo at least um, you know as as in risk of uh, imminent decline um, and I think we'll, we can come back to that because I think it's actually quite important when we start thinking about you know why um, why it, it gets deployed in this way. What I want to say, of course, is is that you know the. That people, uh, so, I mean, the you know Western democracies have certainly, you know, certainly yes, in recent years they they, they attack. Uh, you know, so so the other thing here is that there is even a symbolic function of censorship, right? So you have um, uh, you have the the 
bizarre situation where agents of the, the, the UK state go into the offices of the Guardian and smash up some hard drives as if the information weren't copied and you know somewhere else as well and this is so there's a sort of symbolic act of censorship there that I think is so so I mean this is to say basically if freedom of speech is under threat in the West it's not under threat from you know from you know uh, you know, people shooting up an office. Mm. It, the, the more insidious threat is from from state power itself. And people this far is, greater but, but this is why 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 I think one has to read you know the, this mm. is um, you know the the you know two ideologies, both of which are uh, are, are one political ideologies um, rather than a political ideology versus a religious ideology. These are both political ideologies. One of which deploys uh, religion and religious offence in a certain, in a very particular way. Um, the the second thing to say here, of course, is um, uh, is that Western democracies, so called democracies, have have a, have a very long history of doing this kind of thing, um, you know, of uh, of sort of of censorship and of banning and of of, of cracking down on free expression as a means to limiting um, you know uh, a political horizons. So I mean, this is oddly enough, it's true of um, the magazines that some of the people who contributed to Charlie Hebdo met on. Um, they, you know, some of the, those people who 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 were murdered. Uh, on Wednesday, first met on uh, a libertarian socialist uh, sat- uh, satirical paper, L'Enrage, um, uh, which was first published in, in 1968. Um, you know, many of the the, the papers of, of the youth that, that came out after 1968 were banned um, by, by the French state. Um, uh, uh, Rouge, um, uh, uh, the the political association, the magazine of the Ligue communiste, that was uh, yeah, banned by the. So, so there is a history of, of 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 this kind of censorship. You know, so so the commitment to freedom of speech, basically, is 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 a limited commitment. So so, and uh, I suppose this is why there is certainly a a, a historical communist commitment. Um, certainly, certainly, in, 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 at the beginning of the the, the communist movement uh, too. Freedom of expression, freedom of the press, freedom of speech. But again, I, you know, I, I, what I would say here is that 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 one, you know, to to ask why it is that uh, these people who staff what is a, a apparently a left wing paper, and remember that some of these people who are murdered also maintain membership of sort of pro migrant or migrant solidarity groups, right, within France, or um, you know, regard themselves as anti as anti fascist. So why it is that 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 they take uh, after 2000 or so this extreme sort of racist turn and you know this belief in you know or, or, or continued depiction of a, a racialized other uh, a sort of uh, insider racialized other as well right and so this um you know this uh, one of the things to say is i'm sure many listeners will have seen uh, that that uh, charlie abdul cover uh with um the the uh, women enslaved by Boko Haram made out to be welfare queens. It's a really hideous racist caricature. One of the things to to say about it though is that that look what it, what it does is make a connection between um, something interior to the French state and something nominally outside it. Right, which is to say that the, the logic operative in in that satire it is to say that that there is a connection here between. Um, uh, uh, people sort of uh, defending their alloc, the sort of welfare check, um, and sort of uh, uh, you know this racist caricature, which is to say that the intrinsic logic is that there is a racialized other within French society, uh, and so so this this kind of pernicious um, 
logic of the the inside outsider uh, is you know I, it's one of the, the you know the other thing that sort of worms its way into this is you know an entire apparatus uh of uh uh, of depiction, of description, of um, uh, of thinking, um, which was historically targeted at Jews within France. So it's like the entire apparatus of, of anti-Semitism, um, while there is certainly uh, <laughs> a residual, uh, residual, certainly extant anti-Semitism within Europe, much of its apparatus is now turned to a different uh, inside-outsider, and, and, and that is the, 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 the Muslim, which is why it's absolutely insufficient to do as Nick Cohen does, which is to say that, um, oh, you know, uh, 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 Islam is not a race. Well, this is, this is a, an entirely irrelevant um, to the way in which Islam is thought about and depicted in Western Europe, which is, you know, you know heavily, heavily racialized, it becomes um, uh, a substitute term for, um, depending on, on, on your locale, um, uh, Arab, North African, Pakistani. You know, the, the, this is what people mean when they say Muslim, you know? So, so, the, I, so it's an absolutely bizarre uh, in, and insufficient way of dealing with the problem. Um, can I just draw on a quote from yeah. Nick Cohen? I mean, here's a qu- quote from a Nick Cohen article, I think, yesterday, the day before yesterday. Criticism of religion, including bawdy, irreverent criticism. I don't see why any adjectives change, but whatever. He's never been known for his precision of words. Criticism of religion, including bawdy, irreverent criticism, is defence against oppressive power. And just think, you just think, mate... You look at the United States, you know, it has 5,000 nuclear warheads, you know. It can access pretty much any digital communication by anybody to anybody else on the face of the earth pretty damn quickly. It can freeze your bank account, you know. It it has military bases, I believe, in 160 countries, 150 countries, you know. It's got an economy of, what, 17 trillion US dollars. It's spending more on its military capability than the rest of the world put together. And in terms of in terms of oppressive power, you're talking about two guys who went into a into a, a building in Paris and shot eleven people. I'm not excusing it, but if you really believe that is the locus of your oppression, you are so beyond even talking to, let alone being published. You know, but actually, that's quite a common thing, and especially especially. And I don't like to I don't like to because I do it quite a lot, and I you know maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong. It's guys of his age as well. Because we were talking about how this ties into that kind of post-68 leftism thing, right? But there's a lot of things about, oh, criticism of religion in itself is a really, really good thing. Well, why? Why is it in, in itself a really good thing? I don't think advocating religion is particularly... Why is it in, intrinsically, inherently, a positive virtue to criticise somebody's faith? You don't say that about, you know, daubing a swastika. Look, I can do this, therefore it's a good thing. The, the means in itself... Why is... When did means-based politics become a good thing? So I thought means support ends. Anyway, James, go on. I'm, I'm, one of the things that's... that's that's worth saying here, and I think it is partly a generational thing, actually. Um, partly, not entirely. Um, is that certainly um, Charlie Hebdo, um, but also people like like Cohen and, and, and that sort of generation of uh, recanted leftists um, are certainly have a sort of um, uh, an anti-clerical and icon- iconoclastic in- instinct um, that that is to do, I think, with the, the history of religion and its relationship to the left in, in the course of the 20th century. Now, the, the point here, of course, is that, um, you know, if, if you were, uh, you know, if you're in, you know, I don't know, mid-20th century Ireland, for instance, you probably have 
to you know it, it, you know blasphemy in terms of like church power is you know extremely important mm. tool but what you're doing here now is that given the way in which like religion has changed uh, within the west is like you know it, it, it's a profoundly different thing you're targeting when you know this sort of like very sort of base um anti-clerisy is 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 you know the the, the basis of your entire politics but because it's it's this sort of um you know on the one hand uh, a sort of uh, a really sort of vulgar uh, misreading of the Marxist position on religion, right? Which is that um, it, it it is something that that both manages that that manages uh, or, or allows a release of uh, the anger and misery of of an oppressed people, but it is but. But it is also something that that is a comfort to those in in uh, in, in those situations, and, and to, to fail to read religion correctly as as, as both of those things is, uh, is is simply stupidity, really. But so I mean, to 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 come back to this question is like okay, so in the abstract we can talk about the you know yes i suppose it, i think it is probably important to defend the freedom to draw a blasphemous cartoon. Um, I would probably come down on the side of that. However, I do not think it is the freedom that is uh, emblematic of the entire freedom to to think um, or express oneself, and to make it such is to ignore um, the the you know the <laughs> is is to put put oneself on the side um, of uh, you know a, a discursive regime that that that. Uh, is all about constituting this sort of alien other that that you know uh, agglomerates and homogenizes um, the Muslim as uh, uh, irrational, dangerous, incapable of being part of Western civilization. You know, so I would defend, I suppose, in the abstract, one's right to do it, but ask serious questions mm. um, about when you do that, what you're doing, mm. because what you're doing is actually not um, attacking people who are oppressors or who are violent or who are, uh, you know, who are, uh, um, you know, uh, destroying, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, civilization or whatever. What you are doing, in fact, certainly when you, you publish these things here, um, is, is you are saying, yes, there, there is within our state um, a subgroup of people who are now less than people who cannot, uh, you know, who, who, who need to be, you know, mocked and fleered and scorned at, um, who, you know, for whom, you know, uh, you know, and when you see, say, a woman wearing a hijab in the street, that is something um, that is a mark of, of, you know, unreason and uh, uh, baseness and uh, and. Uh, outsiderness mm. so so that is the discourse in which in which you participate when uh you know when you publish these things and, you know it, it because it, you know so it, it, and none of which is to say you know and this is why why one has to refuse that 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 rather crass position that that, that to say this is to um uh, uh, uh is to completely uh, reject any notion of uh, the freedom of the press or the freedom freedom of speech being important. It, you know, it, it is not, and so 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 one. You know, it, it is merely to say that 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 politically one has responsibilities to the society in which one lives. Yeah, I mean. I mean, look, we're, when it comes to rights, you know, we're in a bad place. You know, yeah. you, talk about, you talk about freedom of association. I think the association, the associate, the associational process. To kind of take a Tocquevillian, Alex is the Tocqueville kind of term. 
is it's the soil within which democracy grows. And I don't mean democracy as a set of, sort of flaccid, staid historical institutions. I mean it's a dynamic process of popular sovereignty and empowerment, common empowerment to collectively decided ends. That's democracy. And look, freedom of association, being with who you want to be, where you want to be, when you want to be, is the absolute bedrock of that. Now, if we go back to the anti-fascist, anti-EDL process in Tower Hamlets, when was this? This was what? End of 2013, huh? End of 2013, 265 arrests made. Mm-hmm. Those people did not have freedom of association. They could, not, they could not freely associate and not allow the EDL to enter where they lived, their streets. They did not have freedom of association. And time after time, we've seen with protests in the last... Clearly, this, is, this precedes the last five years. But if we're going to look at the, the, the more recent context, there's been some good, good publications out on this, actually. <clears throat> you look at the Olympic, Olympic process, right? Over 100 people arrested. Mass arrests, no charges. Tower Hamlets, mass arrests, no charges. This perpetually happens. And it's even happening before any crime has been committed. Uh, again, with the London Black Revolutionaries at Westfield. Same thing happens, right? And this is done to eliminate, to disincentivize protest. So clearly, the, the, some of these institutions, i.e. the police, the Home Office, do not believe in freedom of association. It's under attack like never before. Where is Nick Cohen? If he believes in our sacred freedoms so much, where is he? If he believes in freedom of association, why isn't he talking about the fact that pro-Palestine protests were criminalized in France last year? You can't do it. You cannot go on a pro-Palestine process in France. Again, I'm not saying that explains or excuses what's just happened with Charlie Hebdo. I'm just saying you cannot give freedom of speech to wealthy, white, older men and deny it to people that think Palestine should be, one way or another, an independent nation state with sovereignty. Right? Where, is there, where, where, are, where are they when we talk about the freedom of uh, religious beliefs or freedom of dress for a woman in France that wants to wear a burqa or a chador or a niqab? Because they can't. They can't wear the clothes that they would like to wear. Take away the, the, take away the religious language. Just simply wearing the clothes you want to wear as a human being. It, we're in London. You, people wear all sorts of things. It's just so utterly medieval to think that you can't... Actually, that's doing a disservice to medieval. Sorry, my apologies. It's so utterly retrogressive, absurd, to think that uh, somebody shouldn't be able to wear the clothes they want to wear for whatever reason they want to do it. It's just bizarre. And yet Cohen won't say anything on this. So you have this... I, 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 I guess it ties into that thing you were saying about the poppy, right? For some, and this is an interesting politics here, and it's emerging in a contemporary context, which, uh, yeah, it's defined by a hollowing out of the centre. You know, we're 25 years after the end of um, an epoch-defining left, right? A left that believed it could change itself and the world with it. And also, actually, the end of a conservative project. It's actually meaningful popular conservative project. So anyway, that's the broader context. And then you look at somebody who could hold these kinds of values together. So, yes, they shouldn't have freedom of association. They shouldn't be able to protest. Um, you shouldn't be able to slag off the Queen or criticise poppies. But Charlie Hebdo can write, you know, these things about slagging off. You know, it's an interesting politics. I wouldn't call it fascist, necessarily. But it does tie into a certain right populism which we're seeing on the rise across it's, Europe. It's, it's, a, it's a reaction in politics that, that, that oddly enough, is... It, it's sort of the last gasp of you know defending whiteness in one sense mm-hmm. uh, right so you're in this political imaginary whiteness is um coterminous with uh uh being western um uh 
you know, uh, so this is what whiteness signifies in this politics, right? It, not only is it, it being Western, but it's, you know, uh, having this, this sort of the, the very idea of secularism or, um, you know, the, the, you know, the very idea of freedom itself is you know, constituted as, as, as white. It's, you know, oddly enough, I, I, my suspicion is that this, this politics is sort of the, you know, the last gasp of, uh, you know, the former colonial states in their attempt to, affirm the colonial relation even in a, in a nominally post-colonial period so instead of a, a sort of um uh, a explicit colonialism you have a sort of cultural colonialism that says okay you know um we have developed the most advanced human civilization we have these this thing called you know the rule of law and things like that and blah 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 whatever uh, so so you know this is now the thing that that gets this is you know a relatively elementary point this is the thing that 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 justifies what we call sort of humanitarian violence um right you know we're, we're bombing them to free them and stuff like that is its most vulgar expression but but certainly if it, you know that it has a continuity with the you know the way in which, say, uh, gay rights or women's rights get deployed and deployed very se- selectively to justify, um, you know, the, the, this kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, so even insofar as you have the French ban on the burqa um, being expressed in those terms, um, but failing to recognise, and it's very clear that that what this does is is once you um, make it impossible for people to to emerge into public space, then they become trapped in 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 private space, right? Like, so you know, it's it's fundamentally retrograde uh, retrograde motion. Um, but but yes, yeah, so 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 that you know, it, it seems to me that that this politics is an expression of a desire to. Uh, to to re-entrench the you know the the the, the real heartland uh, of sort of historic imperialism as as a sort of uh, you know uh, bastion of of sort of uh, uh, you know, democracy and sort of freedom and things like this and this is ultimately you know I suppose one of those 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 points at which it's it's good to remember the history of of the left on this stuff is to say that is 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 to enunciate what sh- what has been historically actually quite a chauvinist universalism, but but to say that, that to, to, to argue that those things are are not found um, exclusively as properties of the West um, is going to become increasingly important. Uh, I think is is a, is a kind of you know it's a, yeah. Uh, you know, go on. If you wanna... no, well, I mean. What I was going to say is that, that that one has to sort of think universalism in this sense, while also engaging the question of solidarity. And one of the things I think to say is that it is it's extreme. I mean, you know, one we live in an age of sort of soundbite solidarity, anyway, right? Sound solidarity is now a verbal expression of "I'm sorry, you're having a bad time" or whatever. Um, but so to, to enunciate a kind of universalism which insists that things like freedom are not properties of white people or you know uh, you know Anglo-Saxon culture or whatever, to, but to insist also that that solidarity um, is is not a matter of saying you know I mean. <laughs> To say je suis Charlie, I mean, like, well, you know, what's a, you know, what's surprising there? Um, of, of course, you are Charlie. Um, you know, the, it, you, you know, particularly you're a white person living in a Western city. Um, it's not surprising at all. The, the question for solidarity here is not really about um, you know, whether or not you are Charlie. It's about you know uh, when you say je suis Charlie, it's, it says okay, well, but those people over 
over there, um, all of them are ISIS or all yeah. of them are Al Qaeda. Unless they apologise seven times. Yeah, right. I mean, this is this is that that that's you know, part of the, the logic here. Um, but that, you know, can all Norwegian Christians please apologise for Anders Breivik? Nobody yeah. has said that. Well, no, of course not. Uh, but I mean, as a brown person, you got to explain. You know, I'm sorry, oh my God, I'm sorry, I'm a Muslim. I'm sorry, I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's absolutely you no. Know, sorry. Well, no, I mean, what I was just going to say is that like, solidarity, um, when it operates well, it, is, it doesn't sort of uh, flatten difference, right? Like, it's, it's a deliberate attempt to reach across. It's to recognise that, so, when, you know, you know when, when, when we attempt to act in political solidarity, with people elsewhere, it it emerges from a recognition, right, that that like it, it is these people in their individuality and in their specificity who are killed and oppressed. This is why it's you know the, I always have this sort of you know, uh, you know we are all this person or that person. Well, the point is that I'm not right. Like that you know solidarity is powerful when it when it recognizes and sort of protects difference. <laughs> you know, and this is this is why it's really terrifying to me to see like this sort of sway of people. You know, just be Charlie. It's like, they were singing the Marseillaise <laughs> in Trafalgar Square. Yeah. They were seeing the Marseillaise. 1961, 17th of October. Do you know what happened? 30,000 people protesting against French occupation of Algeria. 30,000 people. October, it's 1961. 300 were gunned down by the French state. They were shot. 1961. Some of your parents are probably alive. Or oh, even listeners. Sorry, listeners. My parents were alive. 1961. You know, where was the freedom of association then? And they're talking about adapting. They're talking about, oh, fitting in. <laughs> Yeah, it's just absolutely amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And these same people singing the Marseille says, look, I'm, Brit- I'm British, yeah? I'm not slaying you off because I don't like you because you're French. These sins were meted out by these two countries, especially within Europe, across swathes of the globe. I'm not being, you know, it is not scorn I'm giving towards it. The same things are absolutely indisputably true, correct for Great Britain as well. I'm not, I'm not saying that, right? They were saying, imagine, now you, actually I can't even, I can't even imagine this. Imagine uh, you're in Rome and 11 BBC journalists have just been murdered and then there's a huge, for some reason there's a big, Maybe not Rome, I don't know, Doha or wherever loads of expats go, Mallorca. And, like, you know, and loads of young, highly educated people, you know, and they all gone somewhere and they all start seeing God save the Queen. You know, I'll be quite honest, I'd brick it. I'd be like, I don't, I just, this is quite concerning for me, actually. You know, if that is your response to what was an awful thing to happen, you know, we have to keep on saying this, of course it was a dreadful thing to happen, but if that is your response, then collectively start singing the national anthem of, of one of the, the most, uh, you know, sort of recklessly murdering powers of the 19th and 20th centuries, it was, yeah, and that's it, and that is its melody, yeah, and that was the, that's the, that's the, that's the lift music while it was, you know, uh, dismembering people from North Africa to the west coast of Africa, yeah, and Polynesia, let's not pretend otherwise, if that's your response, I'm concerned, I'll be honest. Okay, James, we've got 10 minutes left. You're listening to Navarra FM here on Residence 104.4 FM London. Um, yeah. yeah there, I mean, there are a couple of things I think it's important to say. One, one of which is, is a thing that has not gone widely discussed, but I think is important when thinking about the French state in this, uh, which is that um, about two-thirds or over two-thirds of the prison population in, uh, in France is Muslim. 
Uh, and that is, I mean, it's a really astonishing thing. I mean, I had to go, I had to look it up, and it's a figure that comes from uh, Olivier Bobineau. Uh, it's a prominent French sociologist. A couple of years ago, he's, you know, uh, about 65% of... Um, that's of, of prisoners and, and and when you get to to Paris and and Ile de France uh, and, and its environs, the figure is closer to eighty percent. Um, so so we're talking about like a, a particularly racist and carceral state here. So like so that is the, that is the first thing to say. The other which, thing, by to the say, way, Marine Le Pen wants to reintroduce the death penalty, right? Yeah, which yeah, basically yeah. means brown people. Yeah, for her. Go on, sorry. Um, the 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 other thing I suppose. Well, I mean, you know, death penalty in the United States is hugely and um, disproportionately racist. No, absolutely. How it, but this is showing some right? In um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but but but. I mean, th- the other thing here is that, that it's, uh, it's, you know, anyone who's, you know, been to France recognizes that, you know, it, it, it's a highly segregated society, highly, highly segregated society. Um, it, it really, I mean, really astonishingly, despite, you know, the, the avowed sort of um, dogged secularism of the state, it's deeply, deeply secular, uh, deeply segregated society. So, so this is the context in which this happens. And again, I mean, you know, I can't believe that one has to say this over and over again. This is, you know, it, it is not, uh, it is not to excuse, um, it is not to excuse these killings to, to understand why they happened. Um, and why they happened is not just, um, you know, the, the way the, it's not just because of the, the way the French state is, but it, it is part, it is part of it. Um, it, it for, for instance, you know, I saw a news story yesterday saying, you know, oh, these guys were radicalized by the war on terror. Well, it, I mean, it's, it's such an insufficient term, isn't it? Radicalization, because a lot of people were radicalized by the war on terror and all of them, um, you know, go and, go and shoot cartoonists. The other thing to say, I suppose, is 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 really to talk about, and I think it's important to do this, to talk about like, look, there there is there is a problem here in terms of, um, uh, you know, thinking exactly how to avoid bolstering uh, any sort of reactionary liberal or right wing attempt to make hay out of this situation. Um, one of which is, is is simply to say that you know, uh, look, that there there is you know a freedom of the press, and it is wrong to kill journalists. That you know, however reprehensible those journalists might be, that's you know, it's wrong uh, to kill anybody. I mean, that's, yeah, that's it's, uh, basic. Yeah. I mean, that 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 is a you know, but it's a thing to to reaffirm. Uh, the next thing to say, however, is that is that to, is to to attempt to 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 articulate against this. Uh, uh, a, a politics that says that that is a, again a, a class politics, and attempt to to articulate um, the position, the, the highly racialized uh, position of class these days, right? Which is that 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 race is intrinsic to class production in the West, um, you know, it, and it's something that extends globally Absolutely. as well, yeah. right? And so, so this is to, to say that look, there is there is a. a, a a ruling, a, a series of ruling powers here, and a series of ruling powers um, in Gulf and Arab states um, that 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 enjoy these these conflicts, right? Or enjoy is the wrong word. Um, deploy or utilize these conflicts. Um, you know, in it's it's so it, you know. It, I, I, I want to avoid a sort of dangerous sort of um, uh, pietism and uh, clean hands approach, right? Uh, you know, one one has to say that that you know unequivocally, um, you know, the, these these uh, attacks that are, are, 
are the result uh, of much of the 20th century and the operation of, uh, of powers like the US um, within uh, uh, the Muslim world. Uh, I mean, there's this thing about political Islam, right? Right, yes. This, and they go, yeah, political Islam is always... And, and you know, this kind of very... It's this guy... Uh, this guy on the, on the west coast yesterday I got this Facebook status and it was shared into my timeline very right on position you know political Islam I'm not that, yeah, you can be right and right on right you can be pious and correct so I shouldn't mm. say that <laughs> anyway very, very right on position and he was going you know political Islam is you know it's also a problem for progressive movements in the Middle East and in you know predominantly Muslim countries right political Islam this category as if Said Qutb and kind of the equivalent of a liberation theologian in pre-revolutionary Iran are the same thing they are not they are not there are plenty of progressives Marxists like Marxist Leninists communist revolutionaries during the course of the 20th century who were devout Muslims I mean I I shared on my Facebook if you look for instance at the, the period leading up to the Iranian revolution it was an incredibly interesting time in terms of the participation of What's what's called? There was a book by Ali Shariat, who's a revolutionary in Iran. And he talks about the conflict between red and black Shiism, and he talks about sh- black Shiism is where the faith has been appropriated by the powerful in order to legitimise rule. The state takes this narrative, and he said red Shiism is a more dynamic process, much more like the kind of liberation theology you see in Latin America. Um, I, I don't know to what extent he was engaging with ideas of sort of Franciscan Christianity. Quite interesting, right? Sort of social movement. Social movement Shiism. So those debates are are there in in uh, in pre revolutionary Iran. And there's a guy called uh, what's his name? Is it Gulsurhi? Right. If you Google this guy, or you go on YouTube, put in Gulsurhi, you'll see his uh, speech to a, a, a jury in a trial in pre revolutionary Iran, 1974, 1977, where he's basically saying, "I'm a communist and a, and a Muslim, and my and you will kill me, but my body is one drop of blood in the revolutionary body of the Iranian people." So to say that political Islam, this huge category, just to, to include all these people, just erases this entire history. It angers me no end. Um, we've got a few minutes left, James. So some concluding thoughts, I suppose. Uh, well, the concluding thoughts at this point is that the immediate task, as far as I can see, for for uh, a left, uh, certainly within within Britain, and I would say, you know, uh, within Europe as a whole, is to recognise that um, the immediate threat here is not uh, in in a clash of civilizations or any of that, that nonsense, but to one to refuse those terms uh, and instead realise the way in which this will be used to to form. Uh, within Europe, uh, uh, as has been happening for, for some years now, um, but but will now really, really, I think, kick into high gear because you will have much of the establishment behind it um, in in a, in a way that it hasn't been before. Um, I mean, this is you know a sort of Eastern Manifesto moment, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, you you really will see this the, this you know creation of this uh, you know inside outsider, and that is something to resist. I mean, that is where I think much of our organisation must be focused at this point. I so suppose we've got two minutes left. One minute left. One and a half. I mean. <laughs> The, the, the basic kind of the idea of the primacy of the nation state in international affairs is allegedly since 1648 the Westphalian system which was a response to yes wars of religion within Europe <clears throat> so the big question for me is how do European nation states 
<clears throat> adapt to a change context where white Christians are, in many instances, uh, increasingly a minority. That will happen in Britain this century. So how does that political architecture respond? How can it? Okay, James, you've been wonderful as ever. My name's Aaron Bastani. This is Navarra FM here on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'll see you same time, same place next week. Bye. <laughs>